Pastor Helen. Father, I pray today that you'll open our hearts and our minds to understand the incredible truths that are to be found in your word and to apply them to our daily living, that we might be more like Jesus, <clears throat> in whose name we pray. Amen. I'm kind of sad today because this is the end of a series. The last one on this series, I'm, I'm looking at our attitudes, because next week we've got Palm Sunday and I want to focus in on Easter. So we're going to bring this series to an end today. But you might have discovered over these last 12 weeks that attitude is really important. It makes a huge difference to our lives and to our spiritual journey as well. And uh, Elwin sent me a copy of a, an email, which is a fascinating one, about some science and some research about the importance of smiling. I mean, we get the right attitude, you usually smile, don't you? Smiling is fantastic. It really, it, it changes us in so many ways. It's one of the most basic biological functions for humans. We are born smiling, we smile in the, in the womb. Blind babies smile at the sound of their parents' voice. Amazing. When you smile, serotonin is released. And that's, a, that's sort of a happy, supportive hormone that, cal that calms you, makes you feel good. And it's released whenever you smile. So it's worthwhile smiling, isn't it? Here's a summary of some smiling research. A University of California, Berkeley, a 30-year study of examining student yearbooks found that students who smiled in their yearbook photo lived approximately 10 years longer than those who don't. <laughs> there you go. Wayne State University study of major baseball league players found that to the extent that they smiled in their photo predicted their lifespan. A beaming smile, 79.9 years. Slight smile, 75 years. No smile, 72.9. 14 percent of people smile less than five times a day. I'm sad for them. The average adult smiles 14 to 20 times a day. Children smile 400 times a day. <laughs> Let's be childlike. Hey, let's smile some more. British researchers found a smile is as stimulating as 2,000 bars of chocolate or receiving $25,000 in cash. <laughs> now, according to my calculation, that means that a British bar of chocolate is worth $12.50. <laughs> no wonder they're smiling. That's a big bar of chocolate, wouldn't you think? So, smiles are important. And I don't want to talk much, too much about smiles today, but it comes from our attitude, doesn't it? Our attitude is really important. And you can find there's even scientific research to say that our attitude is, is important. And that's that sort of stuff which I've been reading to you this morning. But I want to focus back in on, on the, uh, the Word of God this morning. And, and the first point I want to make today is that, is that faith works. It really works. It works positively, and faith also works negatively. Let's face it, out there, it's a negative world, isn't it? turn on the bad news any night, you know it's a negative world. It can be just as negative in here though, in our minds. And unless we're very careful, that's how our whole attitude becomes negative. And this, this prolonged negative can play havoc with our minds, with our health, with the amount of smiles we have, and how long we live as a result of that. So let's, let's talk about faith for a moment, because faith really works. Positive faith works, negative faith works. Take this time of year, the weather goes a bit crazy. And when the weather gets a bit crazy, oh, you know what's going to happen, I'm going to get sick. And what happens? You get sick. Isn't that silly? Or is it amazing? Or is it just your faith that's at work there? You speak it out and you get it. You know, our words are very similar to God's words. God created with the word. We also 
can have an impact on our world through the words that we speak. It's just as Jesus promised in Mark chapter 11. He says, Whoever says and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Whatever he says. Positive or negative. You get what you say. This is a biblical principle. Now, I'd like you to turn for, the, for a moment to the Old Testament with me and f- try and find the book of Job for me, would you? The book of Job, just chapter 1 will do. And you'll notice that this is a biblical principle. We use Job often as, as a, an illustration of, of the mystery of God's ways and that God allows bad things to happen to good people, even that, that God allowed Satan to attack Job. But I think there's actually a deeper lesson in the book of Job if we study it closely. The Bible tells us that Job was was blameless and upright and he feared God and he shunned evil. But what we also need to see is that Job was a great man of faith. Job was a great man of negative faith. Have you found the book of Job yet? Book book of Job chapter 1, verses 4 to 6. Let me read 4 to 5. Let me read it to you. No, 4 to 6. Let's see. Um, his sons used to take turns. Job chapter 1, verse 4. His sons used to take turns holding feasts in their homes, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would send and have them purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, Perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. That's interesting. Job was sacrificing to God out of fear, just in case his children had done the wrong thing. Job's faith wasn't in the love and forgiveness of God, but in fear of punishment. And what Job was afraid of to ha- that was going to happen actually came upon him. Have a look at Job chapter 3, verse 25. Now, this is what happens in our... Oh, bad stuff happens to Job continuously. Old family just about gets wiped out, except for Mrs. Job. And Job says this in verse 25 of of chapter 3. He says, What I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. What Job feared came about. Now, keep that in mind and go back to Job chapter 1, verse 12. What happens in this case now is Satan's come before the Lord, and he, and he wants to have a go at Job. And the Lord says to Satan in verse 12, chapter 1, Very well then, everything he has is in your hands, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Fascinating. Think about that for a moment. Have a look at verse, at chapter 2, verse 6. The Lord says to Satan, Very well then, he is in your hands but you must spare his life. God said that all that Job has is in Satan's power, and indeed Job himself is in Satan's power as well, except for Job's life. Now, how did Job fall into Satan's grasp? Because it was God's will? That God would allow this blameless, upright, God-fearing man to be tested till he was ready to break? Or was it because of Job's faith? Job's faith was in fear. 
Now, you can disagree with me. That's okay. We're going to go back to the New Testament in a minute. Job's faith was in fear. It was negative. What Job had faith in came about. God created mankind in the first place to have dominion over all the earth, not Satan. But every time we hand ourselves over in negative faith, we tie God's hand. And we allow Satan free reign over our lives. He can do with what he likes. He likes to us right up to the limits of our faith. Now, armed with that information, let's go back to Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. Let's see what we can do about our faith. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 says, Finally, brothers. Now, that word finally relates to something else. It relates to the stuff that come before that. So let's go back to verse 7 for a moment. The peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So, for the peace of God through Christ to guard our hearts and minds, for that peace to be there, we need to actually do something. And Paul says elsewhere that we are to, to bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So our victories of faith are won or lost in our minds where our faith is at. That's not just positive thinking, by the way. It's about bringing our thoughts under the control of Christ. That's something different. So that our faith comes into line with God's word and God's will for us. That's the way we bind up the evil one. And then he can't touch us. All right, so the first thing I want you to understand today is faith works. Positively, negatively. The second thing I want you to, under to look at this morning is how do we adopt a positive Christian mindset to get our faith right means that our faith needs to have some content. Now, since Easter is coming up, it reminds me about Easter eggs. And, and, in, and there, there are some people who like to decorate Easter eggs. They take a, a real egg and they make a very small hole in the side of it. They take the contents out and the outside of the egg is decorated and it looks absolutely beautiful. But what happens if you try to cook such an egg? You get nothing. It's empty, isn't it? It's empty. So like an egg, the real value of our faith is with regard to its content. So Paul's telling us to get the content or the focus of our faith by thinking or meditating on the following things. So what does he say we're going to need to do? He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true. Now, what is truth? Think about that for a moment. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. The right focus is to develop our faith and to focus in on the person of Jesus. This means that every time we come up against a situation, we go, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Do you know Jesus well enough to know what he would do? Well, you need to go back to the Gospels. Read the Gospels. Speed read them. Get in there, read them, read them, read them, read them until it becomes alive, until it gets into your spirit, until you get strong. You say, I know what Jesus would do. You need your faith to be built up. What would Jesus do? We can't go wrong in our faith if we simply adopt Jesus' attitude towards our situations. And you can get such an attitude by meditating on the Gospels so they become reality for you. What else does Paul say here? Whatever is true, whatever is noble. Now, noble describes us. We are nobility. If you're a born-again Christian person, you are the nobility. 
Revelation chapter 1 verse 6 says, He has made us kings and priests to His God and Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We are kings and priests. We are the nobility. Through Jesus, we have regained the right to have dominion again. We are God's people. We are the nobility. Now, how does that affect your faith? Are we going to bow down to the circumstances again or are we going to say, what would God do? What would Jesus do in this situation? We need to be like a king. What does a king do? He makes commands, doesn't he? Satan, out! You're not having any more leeway in my life. You command him. He has to leave. That belongs to us as Christians. Whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever is right, says Paul, or whatever is just, it says in the old, the old version. That means whatever, whatever is upright in character and fair in relationships. It's a word that describes God. God says to us that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is just. And because God is just, our sins are in fact punished in Christ. That's what the cross was all about. Christ received the punishment on our behalf on that cross. And God is faithful. So he has also upheld his promise to forgive us our sins. Because God can forgive us because he's just on one hand and loving and forgiving on the other. And he does them both. When you think about God's justice and mercy together, it helps to build up your faith so that you can know that you can come to him and you can ask him for whatever you need because that's what Jesus says to do and you'll receive what you need. So think on whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever is just or whatever is right. And then he says, whatever is pure. That means uncontaminated. Holy is the other word that comes from the same root word in the Greek. It's a word that describes the born-again Christian. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, it says, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Brothers and sisters, you are the nobility and you are the holy people in Christ. Do you hear how God is looking at you and what He says about you? Meditate on these things. Don't consider yourself anymore from the negative worldly point of view. You are the holy ones of God. That's how God sees you. He sees you as holy, pure, and blameless in Christ. Tell you what, that's worth shouting about, isn't it? Shouldn't your attitude be positive now? How does God see you? See yourself the same way God sees you in Christ. Paul's got some more. He says, whatever is lovely. Now, some people are like that. They are lovely. They're wonderful to be around. But who is he that is altogether lovely? We read about that, book, that person in the, in the Song of Solomon. It's the most passionate love letter you can read about. It's a wonderful book to read. Very exciting. It describes, of course, the Lord Jesus, who's the husband of his church. He is the lovely one, and we are to be passionately in love with him. That transforms our thinking. Meditate on those things. Well, Paul's got some more. Whatever is admirable, or whatever is of good report, it says in the old version. 
So this brings to mind you the report. Okay, what's a, a report that immediately comes to mind is the report that Joshua and Caleb had in the Old Testament. Remember that? They went and spied out the promised land and they said it's a good land filled with wonderful things for God's people and they were full of faith. They were ready to take the land. Of course, the other spies went there and they saw giants and they were fearful. They said, oh, we can't go there. They'll hurt us, those people. Brothers and sisters, the promised land full of good things is a picture for us of the Lord Jesus himself. He is full of good things for his people to use. He's waiting for us to take possession, to walk in faith, to take hold of his promises, to take dominion again, once again upon the earth. Even the whole creation is waiting for that. Romans chapter 8 verse 19 says, Creation eagerly awaits the revelation of the sons of God. That's us. The whole of creation is waiting for us to stand up and be like Jesus. Are we going to be fearful of giants? They only exist in your mind. We can take hold of the good report that through the Lord Jesus we are already victorious. That allows us to start living in God's kingdom when? Now! We are nobility. We are kings. We are priests. We live in the kingdom already. It's going to come in all of its fullness when Jesus returns. I know that. But right now I'm living in the kingdom. What else does Paul say? He's got a lot more stuff. He says, whatever is excellent. Now, this is moral excellence. Peter also uses the word and he uses it to describe God's calling of his people. We are called to be God's people by his glory and virtue, it says in the old version. Excellence, by the excellence of God. So that we might partake of what? The divine nature, says Peter. That's mind-blowing stuff. God wants us to be like him, to partake of him himself. Do you hear what the scripture is saying about you? To partake of his nature. We are to be like God. Indeed, Paul puts it elsewhere that we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Do you see how God sees you? He puts on his Jesus glasses and that's what he sees. That's what he sees who we are. That's what we are in Christ. But there's more. There's even more. It's amazing. Whatever is praiseworthy. What's worthy of praise? The work of God is worthy of praise. He's so good to us, his people. We can praise him, we can praise him, and we can praise him some more. We can think of the things that he did for Israel. The great rescue from the captivity. We can tell what he did for us in Christ. We can praise him for that. We can tell what he's doing right now through the working of his spirit in each and every one of our lives. We can praise him for that. How are you going with this morning's sermon? Is your little mind going... Huh? We need to be re renewed by the transforming of our minds, says the Apostle Paul. Stop thinking the old way. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone, the new has come. Let's walk in it. Till all our thoughts are thoughts of God and of His way of doing things. Let me go on to my third point, which is maintaining a positive Christian mindset. We can't just do that this morning only. Paul tells us to, to think on these things. Another version says meditate on these things. Meditate, by the way, in, in the old Hebrews word haga means mutter, speak it out, say it often. You need to read it with your eyes, 
You just speak it out of your mouth so you hear it with your ears and you're surrounding yourself with the word of God. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 7 and 8 says this, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. That's pretty much all the time, isn't it? The word of God needs to be coming in and out all the time. We need to be our breath needs to be the Word of God itself. We need to become people whose lives are based not on our own good ideas, but upon what the Word says. We need to meditate on it all the time. And you'll find if you make the effort to do, to do that, whether you're at work or you're at home, and I know you've got to work when you're working. I do that too. You know, when I'm driving my car, yes, I'm concentrating. I'm watching the traffic, all that stuff. I understand. But still God's Word's in there. It's happening. It's going on in, my back, in the background. The Word of God is relevant to all of life, not just church on Sunday, all the time. Jesus says, out of the overflow of the heart, our mouths would speak. Are we going to be like Job and speak of what we are fearing is going to happen and allow our negative faith to get Satan to have a hold of us? Are we going to speak out the will of God as revealed in the Bible by meditating on the word so that we can speak and it'll be no different to God speaking? That's what's, that's what's available to us. You may not be walking in that, but that's what's available to us. We are to be just like Jesus. My final point this morning is that, is that having the right focus brings God's peace. Oh, this is wonderful. Listen to what Paul says. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Brothers and sisters, I can spout forth all day and it'll do you no good until you put it into practice. Indeed, I can spout forth all day and it'll do me no good until I put it into practice. And when we do that, the peace of God will be with you. Isn't that something you want, the peace of God? Yeah. When you get peace, it's the most beautiful thing. The stress leaves you. The tension goes out of your body. You know that God's in control. And you're his child and you can trust him with your life. You see, if we follow Paul as he follows Jesus, then the God of peace will be with us. Remember last week we talked a little bit about that? The God of peace, what? He caused the resurrection. The God of peace is the one who crushes Satan under our feet. This is the word of God I'm preaching to you. This is not my good idea. This is what the word of God says. We are to experience that peace. And to experience that peace, we need a depth to our faith. We've had cyclones around the place this last little while. Cyclones are fascinating things when they're out over the ocean. There are big waves. The whole place is in turmoil and chaos, yet only meters below the surface is peace. The little fishies are just going on, big little fishies. The ones on the surface have got a problem. The ones that are deep, it's calm. If you have a great depth to your faith, you also can be in the place of calmness and peace, no matter what the chaos and the turmoil is that's going on around about you. 
So today Paul urges us to get depth to our faith by meditating on all these positive things that he's just told us about. Things that we can find out about God and about his way of doing and being right. This is the precondition for us enjoying the blessings of God's work. It doesn't happen automatically. We have to do something about it. You have to practice what Paul tells us about. We need to model our relationships on Christ. We need to surround our circumstances in prayer. We need to drill our minds in godly thinking and subject our lives to the word of God. Jesus said to Satan, it is written. We need to come back to the same place when we face the difficulty. It is written. What's written? We'll find out. Spend some time in the Word. Meditate upon it so that it comes out of you. And then the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we see here again in your Word the final words of Paul to the Philippians. The final words of Paul to us. I pray today, Father, for myself and for all my brothers and sisters who are here with me today and for all those who will hear this word also on the internet. I pray, Father, for your blessing for each one that we will indeed put into practice what we have learnt. Enable us, Lord, to bring our thoughts captive to Christ, to meditate on the incredible truths that are revealed to us in the Scriptures and to live and to walk as Jesus would live and Jesus would walk. For he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. We know, Lord, that you are here. We know that you are in us through the working of your spirit. We pray, Lord, for the manifestation of your spirit in each of our lives, that you, Father God, would receive the glory. And that the gospel of our Lord Jesus would be proclaimed boldly through the working of your people. May each of us, Father, have a wonderful smile on our face because we know you, we love you, and we worship you in Jesus' name. Our final hymn this morning is hymn number 63. Praise Him, praise Him, Jesus our blessed Redeemer. Let's stand together and sing it with all of our hearts. Praise Him, praise Him, Jesus our blessed Redeemer. Sing of His wonderful love proclaim. Hail Him, hail Him, highest archangels in glory. Strength and honor give to His holy name. Like a shepherd, Jesus will guard His children.